Welcome to the Undercurrent Podcast. I'm your host, Liana Lumawig, life coach, surfer, and ex-corporate girl living in Bali. I've been in unfulfilling jobs and relationships that used to drain my energy and confidence to the point where I was miserable. If you can relate, this podcast is for you. I'm here to tell you that you don't have to stay stuck and settle for anything less than what makes you happy. You can choose how to work, love, and live on your terms. And this podcast will show you how. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Undercurrent Podcast. I have here with me Kathy Trin. She is an award-winning inspirational speaker. She's a global humanitarian, the founder and CEO of Recruiter Hustle, Inc. She's also a best-selling author, an executive leadership coach, a mental health advocate, and she also has her own podcast called Stay Unmuted, Learn, Grow, Evolve, Become. So Kathy and I actually connected online recently through a mutual friend, and I thought her story was so inspiring, and I thought I wanted to invite her to be on the show. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you, Leanna. I'm really grateful, and you know, thank you for reaching out, and I'm really excited about this conversation and just being with you and, and your audience today. Thank you. Me too. So this is a long list of titles that you have here. Am I missing anything? <laughs> <laughs> well, probably, you know, I've, I'm, I, I do a lot of other things too, but yeah, yeah my, my background's very diverse. Yeah. So when we were in our conversation last week, you were sharing with me like the rich past that you've had and it started off in Vietnam. So you grew up in California, but you were born in Vietnam. What age were you when you had left Vietnam and what was that like? Wow. Okay. We're going to go all the way to the beginning, which is great. I, um, yeah, thank you for asking. And again, I'm very honored to be on this podcast with you today and just have this conversation. Um, but just a little bit about, um, my past and where I came from and, you know, of course what I've been doing here now. Um, but yes, I am uh, Vietnam born and um, I was born in 1977. So that was uh, two years after the fall of Saigon on April 30th, uh, 1975. So in 1975, on that day, my grandmother had actually evacuated. She was pushed into a a helicopter, which was called Food for the Hungry. And my dad and his two siblings were actually left behind um, in the war during in the communist regime. So when the U.S. troops withdrew, um, I was born two years after. So if you can imagine just continuous war and destruction and just um, having a country that has been taken over, um, my parents uh, decided you know, when I was one years old, that they were going to evacuate as well. Um, but it was in a form of an escape. So we had to escape the country. I was a little girl, so I can't tell you exactly which route they took. But I know that, um, you know, my parents and I, we walked for days to get to a boat. Um, but they had done that multiple times. So there was four attempts to leave the country. And finally, by the grace of God and the universe and all powers that be, we were able to get onto a little boat. Um, luckily, my father was able to get onto the boat and he was disguised as a woman um, in order to get onto that boat. 
and we got onto the boat. There was like 41 people. Um, it was a fishing vessel and essentially it was the boat that we escaped in. The boat uh, left and just uh, went and got stranded in the middle of the ocean. I mean, you can imagine, you know, just running out of food, water. Our boat was actually attacked by, you know, like Thailand pirates as well. When we call them pirates, they basically just came onto the boat and ransacked the boat and they took everything. And so I'm sure based on what my mom said that we did run out of food and water. And um, so luckily after on the eighth day, we were discovered by a U.S. Navy ship. I would say that's the first recollection of a miracle that happened. So um, our boat got pulled into two countries and we were uh, turned away and then um, finally got to an Indonesian refugee camp where there was about 20,000 other refugees there. And we found refuge there for one year. Wow. Incredible. And you were an infant at this time. Yes. I was a little girl um, and I do have photos too. And I mean, obviously there was no documentation. Um, so the only documentation that we had was our photos with a sign that said our boat number. So it was boat number 0730. And that was the 730th you know, boat that was pulled into shore and made it. And, you know, just having conversations with my mother, you know, she had, I mean, there was no money and she had to just beg people for food. She did work um, as a seamstress on the island as well. You know, for so many years, I was so resentful at my mother. And this is something that we can talk about later as well, but uh, my body dysmorphia, as well as my food addiction as well, um, just out of control, just continuously being a resentful human being. Mm. And I was just upset with my mom for a very long time. And I blamed her for a lot until I found and discovered the source of why she was the way she was. So here's a small story. I've never said this on a podcast, but my mother had, uh, you know, was able to scrounge up enough money to, uh, to eat say noodles. And she gave me all the food in it. And all she did was she just um, drank the soup. And as I was growing up in the U S you know, my mom was constantly feeding me. So it, it was like this habit of wanting nice. to take care of her child ever since I was an infant, but I always thought that she was overfeeding me and, you know, just had so many problems growing up. Now that I'm saying this to you, when we go back into our history and we find, um, you know, the missing pieces and the, the little links, you know, the puzzle pieces of our lives, it makes us whole and it makes us complete. And ultimately we, we can come to a full self, um, you know, it's actualization and realization and just self-acceptance of where we came from. So yeah. I love talking about my story because I know it helps a lot of immigrants and refugees because that story of mine, I am standing in a future of possibility of other refugees. I am their future. I know what it took to come here with that stigma or with that label mm -hmm. and just fighting through everything that I needed to fight through to have a voice as an Asian woman today and to um, be able to just break through, overcome, and then become the woman that I am today. So I'm really grateful to, to have this conversation with you. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for sharing so transparently and passionately about where you come from, why um, you were thinking the things that you did, how you felt and how you came full circle to um, find kind of the source of where your resentment came from, of, of where your anger came from. And I love the idea of going back and linking 
to these sources that helps you make sense of why things are the way that they are, right? And um, I was going to ask next, actually, like the impact of your history, the impact of you, you and your family going through this. What was it like as you moved to California and grew up in California? Oh my gosh, yes. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, my grandmother had been pushed into the helicopter. Mm-hmm. And when she was pushed into the helicopter, we didn't know where she ended up landing in this on this planet, right. um, which direction she took. You know, there was just no form of communication. But years later, um, when my mo- mother started reaching out or reaching back out to our homeland, you know, her, her mother who stayed behind, my parents were able to make contact with my grandmother. And of all places, my grandmother went from Hawaii to Orange County. And so I came from a refugee camp straight to the OC of all places. <laughs> wow. She landed in not so bad places, right? Some it was places. not too bad. It was not too bad. So if I say like a little bit too many times, you, you kind of see it's like the Valley girl in me. Right. So <laughs> I'm from California also, and we also have that, right? Yes. But, um, yes. So, I mean, the impact of it, gosh, so much. I mean, when we go back and just really looking at the original conversation that had happened and not only the conversations that, you know, within a 10 year span or back when you were 10, we, we look, look deeper than that. You know, we go back into our ancestors and we go back into our family of origin. You know, where did these original conversations come from? Because I believe that a lot of people walk around as adults Um, However, with a very young dialogue, and they are not aware that it is actually, whether it's a five-year-old dialogue or if it's Mm a 10-year-old conversation, Mm -hmm. but when you break down these different communities as well. So we have our professional communities. Um, Of course, when we were young, there wasn't that, but there was like a a church or going to the temple or um, grandmother, father, um, relationship with siblings, you know, all these conversations are really different. So I have, um, I've worked on myself so much that when I say something, I ask myself, where did that come from, Kathy? Like, did it come from my conversation with mom when I was five? Like, how old is that conversation? So I'm, I'm always dissecting the things that I say. So a lot now I'm very intentional with the words that fall out of my mouth (laughs) because I'm very, I'm wondering like, okay, where did that come from again? How did you gain all of that awareness, especially, you know, going through such traumatic experiences? Yeah. um, So when we got to Orange County, you know, I have that typical immigrant story right? Mom, mom was a seamstress, didn't speak English. Dad was also the same, but he, he was lucky. He landed a position with um, the Los Angeles Metro uh, Transportation, and he stayed there for 36 years, wow. and um, he learned to speak English by driving a bus. Something that I haven't said this on a podcast also but um, he had just recently told me because of all this global humanitarian work and, um, you know, Vietnam reaching out to me and wanting me to go back there and become a, um, a luminary and be an inspiration to young girls. Um, my dad said, did you know for 36 years, every time I had a Vietnam War vet that came onto my bus, I would always tip my hat down and wow. thank them for their service. 
And I just bawled my eyeballs out because one of my passions is to help specifically uh, Vietnam war vets because they served our country. And I have the freedom that I have today because of them, mm-hmm. you know, because of the, the sacrifices that they put themselves through. You know, again, mom was a seamstress. Dad was a bus driver for a very long time. Part of my story is I did not, I mean, when you think of the OC, you think of Newport Beach, you know, nice homes and whatnot, but we didn't live in that part of Orange County. We lived in a very gang infested area of Santa Ana, California, and walking home to and from school, it was extremely dangerous too. Um, one side we had um, Mexican gang members and the other side we had, you know, Cambodian, Laotian and Thailand, um, you know, all these gang members too. I actually felt like an outcast because I lived in Santa Ana and not like in little Saigon, which is kind of a different area where all the Vietnamese gang members were. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I kind of grew up with just in not, I wouldn't say infatuated with that. I just felt really comfortable in that environment. You know, Leanna, there was just a lot of things that have happened. I did write it in my book too. Um, Mm. There were two or three traumas that occurred when I was a young child. I felt brave to start sharing it, to break the stigma of rape and to voice that, to let people know that, hey, if you have a dark, deep, dark secret that you need to share with someone, because I don't want you to live another day with that pain. So come forth and say something and share it with somebody if you need help to get your mind clear. Kind of the process of, of getting to where I started seeking help. I did some therapy. Before I went to therapy, I actually, I am a former drug addict as well. And I graduated from uh, Cal State Fullerton, uh, completely loaded. And wow. I, a year later, I made a decision that I can't live the way that I lived anymore because I was living a, a very destructive um, life. I wasn't living an honest life. My mom saw my demeanor and I was just no longer her little girl. Mm. I was very depressed. I couldn't look at people in the eyes. Mm. I've lost at least 50 pounds. I was probably about a hundred pounds when I came to my bottom and um, I didn't love and I didn't accept myself. Um, I couldn't even recognize the woman that was in the mirror. I did crazy things. I cut my hair up with, you know, shears in, in the middle of the night. I would spend countless hours inside a, a closet. It's just like really a person that was really sick. Mm-hmm. So I ended up going into recovery and that is where my life just completely transform. So that's kind of how I did hit my bottom Mm -hmm. and I went into recovery and my life hasn't been perfect, Mm -hmm. but it was, it's good enough because I'm still alive and I'm still well. I didn't die out there on the streets. I could have, there were a lot of dark times where I just didn't want to live anymore Mm -hmm. because I didn't have the tools to live. It would be better that I was not trying to figure out this life. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of suicidal ideation. There was, um, but the unwillingness to ask for help until I went into the program. Okay. So thank you for sharing that. Like that sounds like a very, very tough time in your life. It sounds like your rock bottom. When you get to this place of feeling so low, how do you make the transition or the decision to get help? 
when you were saying it's difficult for you to ask for help? I always love that question. It's like, how do we ask for help? Now, if I you know, share my story of who I am today, because I have such a diverse background, people are like, well, you're one of the strongest women that I know. Well, first of all, why did you get yeah. do the things that you did? Right. right. That's the first question. They're puzzled. People are extremely puzzled on why I um, did the things I did. Yeah, and it was your... honestly, it was borderline insanity. Yeah. It really was. I was insane because I was, I put substances into my mind and my body. And I didn't know that there was another way, you know, it's just like having a bad habit mm-hmm. over and over and over, or someone that's a compulsive um, food addict, mm-hmm. they would eat and eat and eat and go one day. They're like, Oh my gosh, I gained all this weight. How did this happen? Mm-hmm. But it takes years right. to develop these bad habits. I would say, I would declare that I am also a sex and love addict too. The sex and love addiction wasn't only romantic relationships, Mm -hmm. but it was the love addiction, the craving for validation, the craving for attention from my parents, the wanting all of that, Mm -hmm. that I didn't get. So I would seek the warmth in the arms of a man, Mm -hmm. right? So then when we have these problems, we definitely with an addictive personality or a compulsive personality. And the thing that's really tricky with sex and love addiction is that it's really a self-defined sobriety. It's like, don't do this. Okay. I'll, I don't mind. I'll block him today, but I'll play the game of block and unblock. right? Right. But that made my life unmanageable too. I had to hit my bottom so bad that it was so painful even to get out of bed. Mm. I had a child on the way. My ex-husband was um, in and out of mental hospitals. He's been to prison multiple times. He's out now. He's doing great. I was trying to keep everything together. Like Mm. I was trying to hold the walls up so that they're not going to fall down because I had it in me. I was such a strong-willed person. Um, I graduated with a bachelor's degree in business management um, with an emphasis in human, like the human condition or human resources. But what I wanted to do was I wanted to study law. Like I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to study psychology. Um, I didn't have to specifically study psychology because I've always studied people, you know? So it's always, you know, this human, um, I was always intrigued with the human mind and the human connection anyway. So, but I had it, you know, I'm, I'm smart, I'm right. But then even a very high powered person, whether you're the president of the United States, or if you are a president of a fortune 500 company, even if you make your promises to yourself and you break the promises, you're out of integrity. Mm -hmm. So I was living a life of, there's no integrity. So for me, what I've learned today is that without integrity, nothing works in your life. I can say to a friend that I won't do that again. I won't go back to that toxic relationship again, but I needed to keep myself accountable. So being in reactive recovery allowed me to stay accountable, but I realized that I can learn anything within a day. Trust me, I can, because I I have a little bit of an ego about that. I can learn anything a day, but the trick is that we need to be able to practice those living principles for the rest of our lives. Right. It's like, you know, you have to keep practicing, practicing, practicing our communication. We need to practice. If we want to learn, if we want something new, say something new. Or way that you can learn something new is that you need to learn new language sets. Mm -hmm. So 
just keep learning. It's in continuous learning and continuous growing, and you will continue to evolve into someone that you're, you don't even recognize. Like mm -hmm. even in, in this conversation, I don't have a script and I don't recognize myself. I don't know what else is going to be, you know, shared, but I'm just excited about it though. Great. Yeah. So you mentioned the word integrity, right? And having everything kind of line up. Would you say that the hard times that you experienced around even your body dysmorphia, your addiction with drugs and sex and love and all of that, was that a result of living out of integrity? It is, but it is also, um, there's so many factors mm -hmm. with living out of integrity. We can, I can write a thesis about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what I would say is that, I guess if, if let's talk about social media, for example, even electronic products or social media can become addictive too. Right. Right. Because it's the norm, mm -hmm. you know, that's mm -hmm. a normal society. We go buy our iPhone, we go get the latest gadget. Yeah. And all of a sudden now you're tinkering around at, on it for, you know, you look at it and you're like, oh my gosh, time spent on this iPhone 10 hours a day. Like, how did that happen? You know, or, uh, you know, when someone has is tight on cash and the quickest way to get cash is to go and gamble. So you can catch a gambling habit pretty quickly too. Anything that's easily accessible. I mean, for me, I guess I'll relate it to uh, my food addiction. Number one, I'm never going to get arrested if I'm eating way too many hamburgers in the car. Okay. And it's legal. <laughs> yeah. I have money that can sustain me for 15 years of food. It's easily accessible. It's um, socially acceptable. And everywhere you went, I was able to control my feelings with that. You know, that's how I can controlled myself um, prior to... Uh, to that, I was able to control myself by intriguing with strangers on the internet with men, right? Mm -hmm. So that created a, a sex or a fantasy addiction, romance addiction. I always told myself my life is almost like a movie, like a Disney movie. And so I can start singing Disney movies and fall in love with somebody super quick, you know, <laughs> because I do, I'm like, I have a very addictive personality. I'm aware that I have a level of intensity too. So I'm very addicted to intensity mm -hmm. and I'm very addicted to adrenaline rush too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you give me like three shots of espresso in the morning and on for the rest of the day, <laughs> right? So with this addictive personality, if I'm participating in a negative or a uh, toxic behavior, mm -hmm. there is the unfortunate cycle of beating yourself up with your own bat every single mm -hmm. day. And the, the word integrity for me is, um, you know, I guess it's doing the right things when nobody else is looking, mm -hmm. but truly who taught us from right and wrong, who said that we can't date this type of guy. Cause this type of guy also has qualities that are good too. He loves to cook for me, but then yet he has a gambling addiction. Mm -hmm. So it's always like this justification thing. For me, being out of integrity is like, I would make promises for myself and say, you know what, today I'm going to eat clean. I am going to do keto. I'm going <laughs> to not eat carbs actually. And then by the end of the day or by the middle of the morning and mid morning, I have resorted to fasting for the rest of the night. <laughs> and actually it would take it even further than that. I'd be like, you know what, actually I'm going to starve myself for three days because I'm going to go, you know, have this wonderful date or whatever the case is. Mm. And it just, it's very vicious cycle. And, um, 
it's a cycle of not honoring your own word. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just kind of accelerating, right? These, I guess, these ideas, these goals that you have to the point where initially you want to create them to serve yourself, but then it gets out of control to the point where it really starts to harm yourself. Absolutely. So when I start overeating or Mm -hmm. compulsively eating, say like last night I had a craving for donuts. I wanted to go to Krispy Kreme because I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw this one, it's called Donuts LV in Las Vegas. And they made, they're making really, really delicious donuts. (laughs) I mean, I was like, oh my gosh, this is how they make donuts. And it was like, you know, tray after tray and they make it really fast. So in the middle of the night, because I saw it, it was a trigger for me. The trigger, it was a memory. Mm. And I was like, oh my gosh, it would just taste so good right now. I would love to get that sugar rush at 12 midnight. And I did didn't do it. Cause I actually asked my son, I was like, well, do you want to go to the Krispy Kreme donut right now? He's like, mom, it's 12 o'clock midnight. And I was like, <laughs> okay, you're right. But it's like, we get triggered. It's part of the environment. You know, if you have a little clutter, you're, there's no Zen, mm-hmm. right? We have to feng shui our house. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure everybody has a junk drawer somewhere in their home. But uh, yes, it is a vicious cycle. And when I do see myself wanting to uh, participate in these, you know, overeating or whatever the behavior is, it's just, and what I realized today, Liana, is that it's just a symptom mm-hmm. of something else that's going on. Okay. You know, by the time you put the donut to your mouth, that is just, we think it's just the solution for the symptom of, of what's right. going on. It's like having a fever, you know? Right. Right. But it's not really delving into the actual problem. Maybe you need comfort, right? Yes. Maybe you need safety, you know, maybe it's something like that. And there are many solutions and it might, might be the donut, but it might not be. Right. I honestly, I wish that I was addicted to exercise. (laughs) I really wish I was addicted to hanging out with friends and doing yoga. Mm-hmm. That could be a really healthy addiction, mm-hmm. but because I lack the patience and I've had these really um, bad habits from the past, I want things to go fast. I just want this weight to fall off me. Mm-hmm. So for me, it truly is when I say that I'm still in recovery and I am an addict, it's just, um, my recovery is designed that way. You have to identify in order to figure out what the problem is, because I can't say I'm cured from this disease. I could Mm -hmm. totally do uh, drugs today, control drugs, or I can totally, you know, I can totally drink with you. But then when the party ends, guess where I go? I'll go straight to a bar. I'll go to the liquor store and I'll go buy all this liquor. All of a sudden, next thing you know, you don't see Kathy for about a month. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, I'm beating myself over and over again. So for me, it has to be complete abstinence Mm -hmm. for me to keep spiritually fit. Wow. Okay. So that's how you stay in recovery is to just stay away from the triggers. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's hard sometimes. Um, I would say that at, you know, there was one time in my recovery for my say food addiction. Um, I stayed away from donuts for 10 months. I stayed away from sugar for 10 months and it felt it just, there was something about it. It was a detox. Yeah. So I started feeling detox, you know, especially with uh, women that 
you know, get out of relationships or men too, um, they have to go into oxytocin detox Mm -hmm. and they have to go through the withdrawal period too. Withdrawal in anything is extremely hard. And um, even in relationship too, when you are like, oh my gosh, this relationship no longer serves me. What do I do? It's either we swear them off forever that's the way it goes down in my household. I'm like, you know, I'm not going to talk to you for like a whole month because I have resentment towards my parents or my mother, or my family. And then of course, next thing I know, because I'm such a, a love addict too, I'm, I have fear of abandonment. I'm like, oh my God, I'm not going to participate in family events anymore. So I'd weasel my way back into the family again. And you know, ignore all the problems, ignore the fact that I just slammed the door on my parents, you know, the other day kind of thing, you know, you have so much awareness around yourself, like around your behaviors. And um, I find that really inspiring because you own your personality. You have ownership of your power. And I love that message for everyone listening that we're not always going to make the best choices in life. We're not always going to do things that we're proud of. Um, But really what thinking with a broader view, like you are human, you are going to do things that you're not always going to be proud of, but what do you do after, right? I think is important. Well, everything you said just makes so much sense and it lands with me. Um, It hits my heart. I will say this. I absolutely love myself today. And thank you for acknowledging my awareness of my problems. I typically, when I'm sharing... I try not to stay in the, in the problem too long, but I'd like to get into solution now because I had abused myself for so many years, not willing to listen. And that's one of the biggest problems of human being. We just don't listen. We listen through our own filters. Like it's like, we are not even, I know during interviews and whatnot, people are like, oh, you got to be an active listener. But what if you're sitting there trying to actively listen, but you, you know, a, a candidate would go into an interview and they're going through a hard time. Mm. They are going through their own, you know, family having cancer or they're in a very volatile place in their life. They're about to lose their home their family members, there's divorce on the horizon, their child just got shot. You know, what do you do with all that, Yeah. right? So it is work. Um, I have done the work yeah. and this is what the work looks like. And yeah. when I'm with somebody and I'm present, you know, with them, I come from a place of love and um, compassion. Mm-hmm. And because I've been there, And I hear you. And a lot of people are not trained this way to be good listener um, because they have so much stuff that they haven't worked through. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's sad too. um, And I don't know how to deliver this without pissing anybody off out there. But, you know, I've, I've done the work for the past 20 years. And that's how long I've been trudging this road of recovery. Okay. For 20 years, I made a decision in 2018 when I was isolated in a room going through my radiation treatment with cancer. I took all of my journals and I said, this is a really quiet time right now. Nobody's bothering me. I'm going to take all my journals. I'm going to transcribe everything myself and extract all the good stuff, the juicy stuff, the painful stuff. And I'm going to put it in a book. And 
and it was for a whole month. I was away from all living things. I couldn't see my son. The guys that came to visit me, all the girls, all my friends, they just dropped off the food at the front door and left because you can't be around anybody when you have radiation inside your body because it's nuclear. And I just, I went, I went within really hard. I questioned myself. I said, why God, why did I freaking have cancer? Was it the drugs that I did 20 years ago? Like, come on, like, give me a break already. You know, like, and then I said, was it, you know, was it all the bad foods that I put in my body? You know, was it all the fermented fish that I was so craving, you know, growing up with my Vietnamese food? I'm like, is it my mom's fault? The heck with that. I was just so upset with, with God and with people. But I said, you know what? I will take it for the team. And I told myself, I remember saying this, I said, I'm going to write this book and I'm going to write a legacy for my son. If I end up dying one of these days, because when you catch cancer, it kind of, you think morbid thoughts. Okay. You can't not think morbid thoughts because my cancer was in my throat and I had 24 lymph nodes all the way into the the back of my um, esophagus and my carotid artery had cancer on it. And I'm like, I'm not going to make it. But luckily I got the cancer that didn't kill me. So thank God. And I just went within very much. So I went far and deep and wide and back and forth and, you know, forward thinking, backward thinking, like what beating myself up, but I was able to get enough content down on paper to write this book. And I said, it's going to be a really powerful book even if I die, like, just like, let me just leave this legacy. So I wrote the way that I wrote the book was I I pulled out, extracted five major traumas in my life. I figured out what happened beforehand and then what happened after. And then I basically wrote my book. I wrote a lot of solution and different practices that I've participated in. I even talked about, you know, how I walked on fire with Tony Robbins and I didn't burn my feet off, you know? And, um, you know, all these things and, and all the things that I've done, it was almost like a list of accomplishments here, but it was solution. So extraordinarily by May, uh, actually a month before COVID shut down the world, I made a decision since everything for me was slow for the, the next two years from 2018 to 2020, I decided to create a theme around it. And so the theme was mastering the art of slowing down into a beautiful existence because I was as slow as slow can be. I couldn't go anywhere for a whole month. So then everything in my book was all themed that way. So crazy enough, everything got shut down a month later. I was like, Oh my God, like this is the most opportune time. So if you can imagine Leanna, like while everybody was ice, like locked down, I felt like I was getting stronger and stronger and stronger. You know, I was just building my muscle. It was almost like karate, you know, like Kung Fu Chi master kind of thing. And I was just like, I'm getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And I was doing all these things and I was putting this thing together. And finally, now we're towards the endemic of this pandemic. The thing is that I feel so strong. So if you ask me about hate crimes, I understand that there's violence in the world, but in order to get to a place of peace, we have to get peaceful within, in our own hearts my poor heart that I've killed. I've, I've had um, heart fibrillations and whatnot. Cause I thought I was going to die because of all the drug use, but um, my poor heart, you know, I love it so much today. And the thing that I was going to say that I was going to might piss everybody off. I'm like, well, you guys, the reason why you're so mad right now is because you guys haven't been doing any work. 
you know, and it's not your fault. You never just had an opportunity to get through all the violence in your own home. And now, of course, everybody's I'm jumping on the bandwagon of all this, like, you know, stop this and stop that. And, you know, but really, where is the hate coming from? It started from the beginning of time. The dinosaurs were mad at each other, you know? Anyway, that's what I wanted to say about that. But yeah, I mean, it really comes from a place of love and service. That's what gets my mojo going. Because yeah. as long as I can share and volunteer and do active community service, it makes my heart happy so that I can serve this grand universe, you know? Yes, I can feel the intensity. I can feel your passion. And like I felt it in my body when you were talking about recovering from cancer and taking your whole story and putting it into something to serve, right? And thank you so much for putting that out there. What's the name of your book? It is called The Journey, Mastering the Art of Slowing Down into a Beautiful Existence. And where can people find it if this is something that they really want to dive into? Well, it's on Amazon. And I actually have ordered a very large volume of very special books with, um, with some special things in it too. So if, if they'd like, they can go onto my website as well. Probably that's the best place to support me, but it's kathytrin.com and it's under the book section. I just got to say, Kathy, that you are one of the most inspiring people that I've ever met. I mean, I'm virtually met because you have such a rich story of a lot of trauma, war, addiction, um, cancer, and so many things, right? That can happen you know, to a human being that can hold them back or that can keep them in a place of, you know, just in a down place. But you took all of that and you created amazing things for yourself. Like you are an entrepreneur, you have your own business, you're also a humanitarian and you serve other people. And I just want to acknowledge you for all the amazing things that you've done throughout your life. Thank you so much. Thank you for seeing the light in me. And I know that you see the light in me because you see it and it's within you too. And thank you for empowering me in this conversation as well as I'm sharing what I need to share with you. Um, it, this truly is what we call woman empowerment. You know, I empower you, you empower me, we empower each other. And as long as we, you know, don't catch, you know, any resentments towards anything, there's no jealousy, no envy, no hate, no, um, you know, well, why did she do that? Like, look at her online. You know, a lot of people judge um, a book by its cover. That's the comment that hundreds of people have said to me until they met me. They said, wow, you know, Kathy, it's like, wow, you know, you really walk around as if it's that whole uh, cliche of, you know, judging a book by its cover. I've judged you for a very long time. You know, you are someone that number one, I will keep following. They say, I'm not hating on you. I just, I love your stuff. Like you put yourself out there in a, in a way, but when I look at you, you have kind eyes, you know, but I can also see the pain in you too, when you smile. And, you know, I've been told that a lot and they're intimidated. There's this intimidation factor because I'm a little taller and I have maybe one too many tattoos and, I'm loud. I can get very aggressive too, because I'm passionate. You know, can you imagine talking to a kid? 
I mean, those shooters out there, I really wish I was just sitting right next to them when they had, they caught a feeling of some sort. If I could just sit there and talk to them and go, you know what? I love you and you're loved. You know, if we can just start them young, you know, we all need that to do that as adults. We can't be so selfish to keep running a racket on other people when we have like a five-year-old conversation that hasn't been rectified yet. Mm-hmm. And it's not fair to humanity. So those who are listening, my message to them is, you know, if there's something that's wrong with you, if you think it's wrong or somebody else is saying, hey, you've kind of got a little bit of a problem here, you might want to go seek therapy, seek help, tell somebody and just generate that conversation and put it out there and see what somebody has to say. What if they have the answers for you? Who knows? Yeah. I love that message. Thank you. Right. Because sometimes we keep these things in because maybe we don't feel like we're worthy or maybe we don't feel like it is a problem, but if it's consistent feedback that you're getting, or if it's consistent discomfort, that can change the direction of your life. It can change the amount of joy that you're able to experience or lessen the pain. And also it can have a ripple effect towards the people around you, which what I'm hearing from you Like that's the source of all this pain that we're experiencing collectively. So I love ending on that note. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. So if people are listening and they want to get connected with you, what's the best way for them to get connected with you? I'm definitely on social media. Okay. Um, So we have Instagram. You can Mm -hmm. try to find me on um, Facebook as well. Okay. My website, my Twitter account is not very active. And then also I don't like doing TikTok videos. I was kind of told that I get a little bored sometimes and I would just post funny videos, but there's not a lot of really uh, juicy content there. So you're welcome to find me on Instagram. Follow me there. It's Kathy Trin. Okay. And um, the hashtag on that is living joyfully. Living joyfully. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed our conversation, um, learning about you, and I feel pumped up. I feel your energy thousands of miles away over here, (laughs) over the oceans. So thank you so much for your passion and energy today. You're so welcome. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Undercurrent Podcast. If we're not yet connected on Instagram, give me a follow at Liana Lumawig and at The Undercurrent Podcast. For more tips on how to design your life on your terms, or if you'd like to reach out, visit lianalumawig.com, or you can always DM me on Instagram at The Undercurrent Podcast. Take care, my friends, and see you next week.